This afternoon, we are going to continue in our journey through the book of Acts, which today is landing us in Acts chapter 23, verse 12. And um, I have a basket of Bibles. Uh, can I give you Bibles? Can, can I give this basket uh, to someone and empty this basket for me? If you don't have a Bible um, and you uh, would like one, take it. This can be your Bible. Um, I just, I'm kind of an old school person. I like books. I mean, I know if, you, if you're just really sold on the phone, go for it. But uh, if you'd like a book and maybe you don't have a book that's an actual Bible, uh, please take that and uh, have one of those um, because you will find that very useful. And um, it's good to have a Bible. I also have another book with me that I'm going to tell you about in a second. Uh, but when we get into this Acts chapter 23 from verse 12, we're going to see right off the bat that there are two levels of work that's happening. There is the, the surface level. You're going to read, and we're going to read together the story. We've been reading this story for a long time, and it's a great story, and there are real things that happen that are obvious to see. We call that the surface level. But there's another level of what's happening in the book of Acts, and uh, it's kind of the behind-the-scenes level. And yet, it's one of those things where you kind of got to peel back uh, the surface and look deeper. So that's why I've got my book with me. Uh, it is uh, Roboj Balunk. Uh, and it basically means um, ride with me, uh, ride with us, sorry. And, and what happens in this book is uh, you get to see the life of some great animals. Uh, and there's a surface level reality, but if you look deeper, if we maybe just peel back a window, you're going to see, and this one is a, uh, a dog and a, a chiba chaba. I guess that's a bird, uh, a little bird. And then you're going to go to the next page, and you're going to see what's in the auto. But the point of this is, uh, here, anybody want to have fun with this book? Maybe the kids can practice their Hungarian this morning. <laughs> but that's what it's like. We used to have those books when we were kids, and you could peel back the, lift the tab, peel back the cover, and you could look into something deeper. Well, that's what we're going to do this, this afternoon in Acts chapter 23. So now that you have your Bible, uh, let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 23, uh, or you can follow along behind me on the screen from uh, verse 12. We're going to read together. It says, The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy, and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now you, then... You, now then you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. 
The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning, don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. The stage is set. We pick up where we left off last week. Paul has been put in prison partly for his own protection. But the difficult thing here is that Paul doesn't know much about his circumstances. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know if the experience will be difficult. He doesn't know if he's going to be in prison for a minute or for years. He doesn't know much of what's going to happen. The only thing he knows is that Christ is at work and the Lord has promised him that he's going to get to Rome and be able to share the news of Jesus. And, and what we see in this passage is that the opposition against Paul is formidable, that it is, it is serious. Luke's description of this plot against Paul's life shows the depth of hatred they have. I mean, Paul's adversaries have come up with a devious plot. I mean, they could make a movie out of this to bring the apostle for more questioning. The purpose, however, was not questioning. The purpose was simply to kill Paul, to show their determination how serious they really are about this. The men vowed not to eat or drink. That's pretty serious, because what if the pot takes a long time? That's a big deal. At first glance, it actually looks like they're making a vow of death. Either, either Paul dies or we die. We'll starve to death. You know how long it takes to starve to death? Well, actually, you die faster without drinking something, but it takes a, it takes a while. But here, it looks like that. And sometimes, you know, let's be honest, sometimes opposition in our lives can look pretty serious. But it's not always so. And in this case, the vow that they made didn't actually mean that they would starve to death. Because in those days, they, the rabbis, they allowed four kinds of exceptions. Imagine that. <laughs> kind of gives us a picture of what was the, the judicial system of the day. Now, first, there, were, there was a vow of incitement. You were allowed to break that one if you, if you needed to. Vows of exaggeration, you could break that one. If you made a vow in error, you know, accidentally made a vow, you could break that one too. Or if you made a vow that uh, cannot be fulfilled by reason of constraint. I made a vow, but I'm all locked up in prison, I can't follow through, well then, guess what, I'm off the hook for that one too. So, in other words, there were exceptions for just about anything. But these were the vows that they were making. It's important truth that we can see from this passage because we've talked about this time and time again and we've seen it as we've studied the book of Acts. The truth is life as a Christian doesn't guarantee an easy life. When you become a Christian, it doesn't mean 
that everything's going to go well for you, that you're going to ace every test, you're going to win every lottery, that you're going to be the boss of every company. You don't get that guarantee. In fact, being a Christian may be a more difficult life. The only promise you have is that it will be a better life. Now, that's important. It may not be easier, but it will be better. You see, Paul was faithfully following Christ. He was acting in courage. He was trusting that, that God was at work, and yet he faced challenges. Sometimes we, we face challenges in life when we think, am I praying hard enough? Am I trusting God hard enough? Maybe, uh, maybe I'm making some mistakes, and maybe we are, but not necessarily. Because you don't have to be a follower of Jesus for very long to know what happens that you face certain challenges just because you are a follower of Jesus, just because you're Christian, just because we're waiting for God's will to be revealed. And even now, even now as a, as a church, we're experiencing pastoral transition. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong has happened. But yet, challenges come because we are seeking God's plan. Sometimes we face challenges because of our faith, and sometimes we face challenges just because we live in a broken world. The opposition against Paul was largely because these men were broken. They had brokenness in their lives. They were acting in fear. They had selfish ambitions. They were prideful in their thinking. And this happens just because we live in a broken world. And when this happens, sometimes, sometimes good-intentioned people will say things like, now, you know, everything happens for a reason. Don't worry. They might even try to quote some words of Scripture, like Romans 8.28, and it comes out something like this. Don't worry. All things work together for good. Not quite the verse. Let me read, <laughs> let me read the verse to you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. This, in fact, is probably one of the most misquoted passages in the entire Bible. For Christians and non-Christians alike, it's a way of saying, people use this to say, everything's going to work out, just wait. And we love that. We love that we put that on our coffee cups. We put that on our bumper stickers. We put it on all kinds of Jesus stuff. It sounds good, and it sells well, but Romans 8.28 doesn't say or mean what most people think that it does. And this is because the second half of the verse often gets left out of the picture. Romans 8.28 not only says that in all things we know God works for the good, but it also says for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It is for someone who first loves God and secondly, receives and acts on a call in their life. You see, sometimes bad things happen in this world. I mean, we know that. And God has nothing to do with it. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that the first story in the Bible after the fall of Adam and Eve is, is the story of Cain and Abel. It's the story of the good guy getting killed by the bad guy. I mean, this is the start of a trend throughout the Bible that's still working to this day. It seems that the good guys are always being punished or, or hurt by the bad guys. It's because we, we live in a broken world. And, 
And there's brokenness not just in relationships, but people say even the weather. I mean, rumor has it, Mother Nature has been in a bad mood ever since the fall. And we feel it sometimes. Bad weather. The problem is that we live in a broken world. It's bad news, no matter how you look at it. In fact, it's sad news because that is where most people live their entire existence in a broken world, feeling and seeing nothing but brokenness. And that's why the good news is actually good news. The good news is God wants to do a good thing. He wants to work in powerful ways. In Romans 8.28 is a powerful promise. There are three words in this passage, this verse, this single verse, that are extremely important in understanding what this means, what this promise means. The first word is we. Paul says, and we know that in all things God works for the good. And so the question is, who is the we? Who is the we? Well, there are two types of people in this world. There are those who love God and those who don't. And not everyone who says they love God, actually loves God. We know that because in John 14, 21, we read, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. In other words, people who love God don't just say they love God. They live out their lives in response to God's love. They are the ones who are also, the we are also the ones who are called, those who have responded to the call of God in, in surrendering to Jesus and following his ways, those who have responded to the call in their life. And every Christian, every follower of Jesus receives a call. It's not just a vocational thing, a, a pastoral thing, or a missionary thing, or a, a music leader thing. Every follower of Jesus receives a call to surrender their lives and follow Jesus. And so it's we. Not everybody can say, don't worry, everything's going to work out. Only those who love God and respond to the calling in their lives. And so the second word we need to, to notice here is the word know. Paul says, and we know that in all things God works for the good. Now, there's a lot of things about God we don't know. There's a, there's a lot of things about the Bible we don't know. That's hard to say that, but it's true. Uh, there's a lot of things about life we don't know. We don't know what Jesus looks like. We don't know exactly when he's coming back. By the way, if someone tells you they do, they don't. We don't even know. We don't even know what's going to happen in the next three and a half minutes. I bet you don't know. There's so much in this world we do not know. But there are a few things we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that is the promise of God. You may not always like what God is doing in your life. You may not always understand what God is doing in your life. But you can know that God is doing something good. God is involved. God is at work 24 hours Seven days a week, every week in a year, God is at work in your life, making things work together for good. And when you know that, when you really know this, you live differently. You live confidently. 
You live in confidence, knowing what, sh- what, what God promises will be true. It causes you to live with security and boldness, which leads to the third word in this uh, verse that I think is so important. It's actually my favorite one. It's the word all. Paul says, in all things, God works for the good. He, didn't, he could have said in a few things, or he could have said in most things, He could have said, and the things that happen before noon in a given day, he could have said the things that happen when you're being really good, things that happen, you know, no, no, no. That's not what he says. He says in all things, God is at work for the good. It means that God is at work for the good during bad times. God is at work for the good during challenging times. God is at work for the good when you're studying for a test, when you're facing a trial, when you're out for a run. When you're celebrating a birthday, in all things, God is at work for the good. Now that's something to get excited about. In fact, in this passage, Paul goes on to explain something that gives every Christian great hope. We love this Romans 8, 28, which we believe, by the way, we're talking Paul in his journey and he's in prison now. He has, some time before this, this moment in his life, he has written this letter to the church in Rome. So Paul, as he sits in prison, probably is referring to, remembering these words that he has written. In Romans 8, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friends, these are some of the most powerful words in the entire Bible. And it means that God is at work. God is with us right now. Even though we find ourselves in challenging times, even though we might experience suffering, even though we may not actually see God at work, the promise is true. He is at work. One thing is constant. God is with us, beside us, loving us, at work in powerful ways. This is the hope that encourages Paul as he sits in prison waiting to see what's happening. And what's so cool, this is so cool. This is the part in the story where in the book you get to fold up the little flap and see what's happening. How's it going to happen? How's God going to do this good thing in Paul's life right now? So here it is. Paul's adversaries, they come up with this devious plan. It's serious. Forty men, they're fasting. They're not going to eat. They're not going to drink till Paul dies. They got a plan. They have a plan, but their plan will not succeed Because God had a different plan. You see, no other plan will succeed against God. When God has a plan, his plan will will be for sure. So we see this, how it works. Apparently, Paul has a nephew. Who knew? (laughs) Kind of a little surprise here in the scripture. Guess what? Paul's got a family. We don't really read too much about Paul's family. He's He's got a sister who's got a son and... And who is this, this nephew? I mean, actually, there's, we don't know a lot about him. I mean, we, uh, we can assume that uh, Paul grew up, we know that Paul grew up in, in a strong Jewish family. He was a Jew of Jews. He was very good. So if his family was Jewish to the same degree that he was, 
Uh, and if they hadn't converted to Christianity, if they remained Jewish, then they would have done what most Jewish families would have done and to some extent still do today. You leave one faith, then you are excommunicated. You are, you are cut off. You are, you are disowned. You're disinherited. So if the family, Paul's family, remained Jewish, then they probably wouldn't have wanted anything to do with Paul. But here, we got the nephew showing up. So, so what has probably happened is that maybe Paul's sister or maybe the nephew, either one, has come to a moment where they have accepted the reality of Christ. Maybe, maybe God has chosen the nephew for this purpose. We don't know, but here's how it happens. The nephew overhears the plot. I mean, what are the chances? You know, what are the chances of him just being at the right moment at the time? Maybe he was a spy sent by the early church. Go in there and find out what's going on. Who knows? All we can do is speculate. But one thing we know for sure, God has a plan and it will not be stopped. It's possible that, that this plan may have been underway and the nephew may have had a plan to stop it. We don't know. But what we do know is that God uses the nephew to stop the plan. Look how it happens in verse 16. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. It gives us behind the scenes what's going on there. Verse 17, then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He's got something to say. Don't you marvel at the sovereignty of God here? The commander then in verse 19, uh, the commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? And he tells him, and the commander finally says, okay. He dismisses the young man with a warning. Don't tell anyone what that you have reported this to me. To marvel at the sovereignty of God. We're pausing, by the way. You've got to come back next week to get the, the rest of the story. So I hope you're ready for that because it's a good story. Don't you marvel at the sovereignty of God. The Lord uses so many things, often things we don't expect. Children sometimes, people, relationships, family we didn't even know we had. God uses those to accomplish his purpose. You know, you have to know that God can and will use every situation. There was a, a season in my life when this was overwhelmingly clear for me. It was actually one of the most difficult times in my life. I had accepted a call to pastor a church in a neighboring state which it meant that Amanda and I were, were, were going to resign our positions and we were going to move our family to a new city with new schools, new community, further away from our support systems. So we prayed about this. And, and actually, to be truthful about it, we, we almost said no. Like, no, we're not going to go. It just didn't seem right. But something at the last minute, you know, in our discussion with the church, God just sort of broke through and we thought, yeah, we'll go. So we packed up everything and we moved six hours away and we, we began to serve Christ in a new ministry. In summary, it was not what I expected. Uh, it's a, the very first Sunday, the very first Sunday after I had preached in front of the congregation, you know, one of the leaders, he, he pulls me aside after the service. He says, he says, Pastor, we forgot to tell you something pretty important. You know, we've got some, we've got some meetings coming up and you, don't, you just stay home because... We don't really want the pastor here to lead us. We don't want your direction. We need you to follow. You know, we have a plan. You, know, we're, you need to preach and visit the people. You know, but don't worry about leading us in mission. We got it covered. 
And, and, you know, I can't tell you how I felt. I'm like, have we not been talking for six months? And this is the first time you tell me this. I didn't say that, but that's what I thought. Because it was just the tip of the iceberg of what was happening in this church. There were some deep wounds that were beginning to surface. This church was dealing with a lot of pain and and all these these things, they weren't revealed to me in the interview process. And there were so many issues. There were staff issues. There were power issues. There were trust issues. And worst of all, I hadn't done anything. I just showed up and preached. But I was receiving the pain. I was receiving the blows of of the aggression that was felt. And, And for me, it was the worst 18 months of my life. I, I tell you, I, tr- I tried to help the church heal and grow to become a church that was on mission, serving Christ. And, and it was all I could do. I was nearly broken at the end of that time until I was finally called away to another church. But I had seriously considered leaving the ministry. I mean, I was thinking I was going to work at the computer store and sell computers. I'd, I had applications in to go study something. I was, I was this close from abandoning my call to serve Christ. It was too painful. And then when I was called away, I didn't look back. It was too painful. I didn't want to look back. So for 12 years, I never looked back until we began began preparing to come here to Hungary. And and the way that we did that, and the way that our churches do that, is that we, we look for partners. And so we begin to look for churches that want to be a part of what God is doing here in Hungary. So we began to do that and. And and his church contacted me. And guess what? They said, you know, we want to be a part of what God is doing in your life in Hungary. They were one of the first churches to get behind us in prayerful and financial support. And to this day, they're they're one of our our leading churches. The, The new pastor of that church was one of those people on that leadership team. And he's leading the church on mission with Christ. Here, even here, even now, even today. I mean, who would have thought that God could have worked through that situation for something good, something good for us, something good for them? Truly, God is awesome. Do you believe that God can work like that in your life? Do you love him? Are you responding to his call in your life? Because if you do, nothing will stop God's good and perfect plan in your life. There's so many stories in the Bible, so many stories where people try to stop God's plan. It's hilarious, really, because they always fail miserably. I think about, think about Moses and, and, and the, the, the uh, Pharaoh, the, the discussion that they had, and you know Pharaoh trying to stop the Israelites. You know what the result of that was? Ten plagues, right? Remember any of those plagues? What were they? Frogs. You guys are like the frogs the least, huh? Any other plagues you remember? That's, yeah. Yeah, oh. Turning water to blood, flies, pestilence, boils, thunderstorms of hail and fire, locusts, darkness, and the death of the first. I mean, all these terrible things. And it it was, they were not going to stop God's plan. God was going to get through. Tells us in Exodus 11, 9, the Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. God was going to work, and God did work. Behind each and every plague, God was at work in a powerful way. Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, somebody's teaching. Are you teaching on this? 
Roman. Roman's going to have this story here in a few weeks on Monday night. This story where they are faithful to, to the Lord. They're not going to bow down uh, to, the, to the king of Babylon. They refuse. And so what happens to them? They get thrown into the furnace. And the king is so hot that all the guards are dying. And, and uh, so hot the furnace is. And, but the king gets close enough where he can see that there's not three people in there. There are four. God is there too. Behind the heat and the blaze of this fire, God was at work. He was with them even in their midst. And then, do you remember the story of Job? Oh, talk about, talk about a tough story. God and, and, and Satan, they have this conversation. They agree that their most righteous man on earth is a guy by the name of Job. And, and Satan says to God, he says, no wonder Job is so righteous because you bless him too much. You give him too many blessings. You take those blessings away and he'll curse you. I'm sure he will. And God says, okay, let's see. Let's see what's going to happen. You go ahead. Take the blessings away from Job. And sure enough, it does. It happens. Job loses his family. He loses all. He's a rich man. He loses everything. He's out on his own. And, and it becomes the greatest trial the world has ever seen. Job and poor Job didn't even know it. He didn't even realize it. He didn't have the book of Job to read because he was the book of Job. The only thing Job could do is trust that God was at work. He was just minding his own business. He didn't know. God's presence was clear in chapter 1. God makes himself known in chapter 2. But in chapters 3 through 37, God seems to be mysteriously absent from the story. Job has to walk through 35 chapters just trusting that God is at work. 35 chapters. That's tough to do sometimes. That's why we call it faith. Are you willing to walk through 35 chapters? Some of us, maybe we've walked a few. Maybe we're in chapter 32. Five more chapters to go. Maybe, maybe you just got one more chapter. One more before God shows himself and reveals what he's been up to. What he's got in store. However long it is, know that God always makes good on his promise. When chapter 38 comes along, God will speak and we will see. It says in 38.1, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. That's the promise of Romans 8.28. Now, this promise isn't for everybody, but it is for those who love God and respond to his call in their lives. God wants you to know that he is at work in powerful ways. Romans 8.28 is a powerful promise, and you can know this. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. If you want to claim this promise in your life, all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is believe that Christ has a plan in your life, and nothing, nothing the evil one, nothing this world has will get in the way of God's plan for your life. Do you love God? Will you respond to his call? Will you faithfully wait? Will you trust him? Will you walk with him? However long that is, because God will never let you down. God is with you. Jesus is with you. We're going to be here. I'm going to be up here. I want to pray with you. If you have not responded to God in a way that says, I love you, I want to follow your call, I want to surrender my life, I want to live for you from now on. If you've never said that, come because we want to pray with you. We want you to experience Romans 8.28. Lord, thank you 
for an opportunity to respond. Thank you for your work and your presence in our life. Thank you for this powerful promise. We love you and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.